Okay, let's uh, dig into the Word of God for just a few minutes. You got to turn this down just a little bit, babe. The, um, how many of you got a Bible with you today? Yes, you can hold your phones up. There will be no. <laughs> Good. All right. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you will grant us wisdom and that, Lord, that we will see what you would have us see this morning. It's in your name we pray. We trust you, Lord. Amen. And everything that's gone on in the last number of years is probably more evident now than ever before that people's behavior is under investigation. Am I right? Okay, yeah, I mean, everything is just under the microscope. You know, every word, every saying, every mannerism, every look. Um, I remember not long ago, I was walking through Walmart, and um, there's a guy, he's bigger than I am, I mean, a big guy. And he, um, he had a mask on. He walked by me, and I just went, you know, just smile. He turns around, and with his mask on, he goes, what? And I went, Nothing. He goes, you're judging me because I got a mask on. I went, no, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. He goes, you ought to judge yourself. And he walks away. And I went, I do like every day and right now, okay? Because everybody is on the edge. Now with that, put that over here for a second. It's still trying to ring just a little bit. And um, this week I was talking to someone on the phone and um, another believer and uh, they, they told me they said this, they go, you know the early church they really had it down, they really did and I went what do you mean? they said, well they had the, they had the power of God, the church today doesn't have the power of God and I went okay explain that and they, well they, they had the power of God I mean it didn't, didn't I mean, for the first several hundred years, they were just moving and grooving. I went, can I say this? And they said, sure. I said, have you read your Bible? And they went, what do you mean? I said, about 30 years or so into this, they were all acting up and being stupid. And they went, what do you mean? And I said, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. <laughs> Romans, Ephesians. I said they were all written to them, and in every one of them, there was a corrective word give, being given to the church. And they went, well, I don't see it that way. I said, okay. They said, so what do you think? And I went, read your Bible. And, we, you know, it was not an argument. We got into a conversation about it, and it went on. I said, I've said this many times in the last number of months that I paraphrase a, a statement from John MacArthur that said, when someone asked him what the church, how the, he thinks the church is doing, he goes, well, the ones that call themselves the church that aren't the church, they're not doing well at all. But the ones who call themselves the church and are living like the church, they're doing great. But on the, even on that, if you really think about it, if you look at our lifestyles, we are not perfect. We are imperfect. We are 
fallible beings with the presence of God on us, that two natures struggle the whole time. So we mess up and we constantly need a reminder. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you believe? Don't answer, just think. What do you believe of what your life is about, of what you're doing, what you've been taught? Many were, like I was raised in a Christian home for the first about nine years, at least I thought it was a Christian home, first nine years of, of my life, and then everything got weird and wacky, and divorce happened in my family and all the other kind of stuff, and it wasn't such a Christian home. But in the midst of it, God never let go of me. But I can't say I believed that at that moment because I wasn't thinking much about God during that time. Well, what do you believe? I love asking young people that. What do you believe? And there's all kinds of answers. And they're sometimes smarter than the adults are when you ask them what they believe. What do you believe? Open your Bibles to Titus. Let me tell you a little bit about Titus real quick. Titus was probably a young, maybe we assume was a young preacher, young pastor, that um, Paul most likely won to Christ. And Paul takes, encourages Titus as he left, left him in Crete. Now, you know who, where Crete was? I don't. No. <laughs> Crete was a very ungodly place, if you think about it. It was, it was just terrible. And it, it was hard being a Christian there, okay? Paul encourages Titus, who was pastoring in Crete. He says this. He says, set in order what remains. He says this in the first part of the book. And what was he doing? He was setting forth, you know, leadership, doctrine being taught, proper relationships, church, family, work, all these things, because the Cretes, those that were saved in there, were still struggling with this lifestyle, giving up the old lifestyle and walking in the new lifestyle. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So he tells them to do all this. In fact, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Look what Paul says about the, the Cretans. In fact, in the old days, I don't know if people still do it. They used to call people Cretes, and it was never a compliment. Okay? Look at Titus chapter 1. Look at verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, this is Paul talking to Titus, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. How would you like someone to tell your pastor that? First call the congregation liars and all this other kind of stuff. It says, and reprove them severely. Doesn't go with our culture today, does it? Here's our premise today. And I'm going to try to get through this very quickly. The lifestyle and behavior of a true Christian is to be as extreme and noticeable as light is to darkness. I'm going to read that again. The lifestyle and behavior of a true Christian, a true believer, is to be as extreme and noticeable as light is to darkness. 
in that conversation I was telling you about, that person was saying that they had the power, and I kept telling them to read the word. Well, I'm not going to say much more now. I'll say it at the end. Here we go, Titus chapter 3. That's our premise that we had, we're going for this morning. Look at verse 1, Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 8. Remind them to be subject to rulers, ouch, to authorities, ouch, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves. And can I tell you what foolish means? Stupid. And you can't say that anymore. Because everyone, oh, stupid is a very mean word. It is. It, it really does. Foolish means stupid. And I'll show you that in a minute. Okay? And you're saying, you shouldn't say that, Pastor. I'll say it all the time. It's okay. For we once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. I'm exhausted already. How about you? But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we will be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Now, Paul lays some things out. Now, I'm going to lay out an argument this morning. So hang in there with me. It's not going to be too academic, but it may seem that way. First, he lays out in verses 1 through 3 who we are. Who we are. This is our old behavior he's speaking of. What we used to be. What we are not anymore, but what we still struggle in at times. Okay? Look what he says. We're going to read these over again, okay? Look at verse 1. He says, remind them. Next slide. There we go. One more slide, I think. Yeah. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Now, this is going to offend. It really is. He's talking about the government. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Now, you're talking about an old hippie here, okay? An old rebellious hippie, okay, that was not for the government, you know, power to the people. But look what the Bible's telling us. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Why? For this reason. Christians were continually looked on with suspicion in the Roman Empire because their conduct was so different and they met in private meetings for worship. Keep your finger there in Titus and turn with me to 1 Peter. Now, I didn't, I didn't put the scriptures up here today. We have to turn in our Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 3. 
First Peter chapter 3. Look what Peter said. Now, Peter was talking to Jews who were being persecuted. They were dispersed probably around the time of Act, that Acts 8 was talking about when right after um, Paul's persecution of the church, the Jewish believers scattered all over the world, basically. And Peter's talking to those who were scattered. And look what he tells them in verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. But do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Let's keep going. Watch this. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone. Now, defense, we think that is a very, you know, I'm going to make a defense. I'm going to stand my ground. No. You know what it really means? It means a plea. It means a plea to those who are trying to persecute you in some way. And you're making a plea not to get out of it, but a plea for them to come to Christ. Kind of different than what we normally think, right? Look what he says. To make a defense or a plea to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the, in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. It was imperative to remind them to be good citizens without compromising the faith. He was reminding them, now look at this, he was reminding them of the conduct of a believer. This is something you don't hear anymore because everything's so loosey-goosey, so free. I was watching a, a, a video of a guy that was kindly reproving a pastor who says, that it's okay and God has justified in his heart that he can use the F-bomb in sermons. No. We're saying, well, people are afraid of words. No, we're not afraid of words. Words show the heart of a person. Look at verse 2. Watch this. It gets even gooder. <laughs> he says, to malign no one, Let's back up to verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. What is he talking? The word showing is this. It's interesting. Now, who is he talking about again? This is still in the context and in the structure that, that Paul was writing about the government. That doesn't mean you've got to agree with it. Do I think our government is doing well for us right now? No. Do I think our nation is moving towards a very liberal, anti-God, anti-believer, anti-Bible, anti-anything that has to do with Christianity or, the, or God himself? Yes, I do. It's moving far away from it. But do I want to malign the government? No. Let me show you something here. The word showing is in context. It means to display a behavior towards someone. So Paul is telling Titus to tell the Cretes, who are very rebellious people, very ungodly by nature, which we all are, and he's telling the Christian Cretes to live a certain way, to show in their behavior Christ, to display a behavior towards someone that is godly. 
Now look what it says. I'm going to look at just one word in this. He says, look at verse 2. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. That's all you know, self-explanatory. But the word malign says to malign no one. Let me see. Let me get my phone. I want to read something to you. It was really kind of funny. Denise and I took one of our little drives yesterday just to kind of do something different. And I saw this T-shirt. Now, I didn't buy it because it was really for, for ladies. Okay? And um, I could have rocked it, but I didn't want to. Okay? And it's pink. And it says this. This goes along with Malign. You ready for this? Remember me in your prayers like you do in your gossip. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> right? <laughs> Remember me in your prayers like you do in your gossip. Ouch. Now, with that, look at this. Malign. Malign means this. It means to hurt. This is the Greek word, the Greek definition. It means to hurt the reputation or smite with reports or words to speak evil of, slander, and rail upon. Now he's talking about the government, how they're treating the government, what they're speaking, but he's moving towards each believer too. So when we malign, it says malign no one. Not malign, we're not to malign our government, we're not to malign other believers, we're not to malign unbelievers, we're not to malign the person behind the counter at Burger King, we're not to malign you know, anybody. We're not, and it's, you know, the tough part is not to malign people on 75. Okay? And I'm being funny, but I'm not being funny, okay? To hurt the reputation or smite with reports or words, to speak evil of, to slander and rail. So let's read 1 and 2 again, and let's go to 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceful, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Now he's coming, coming at the Cretes. Because this was their reputation. Now look what he says. For we once were. You know what it's interesting? You know the construction in the, in the original language means? We once were. I tried to find something really deep. You know those deep things? Everybody goes, oh, that's deep. Here's the depth. We once were. This is what we used to be. This is how we used to live. He's reminding them what you're doing now and how you're possibly, from what we understand, possibly living right now is what you used to live. Quit it. Move forward. Move forward in what God has supposedly done in your life. He says, for we once were, and it goes on, let's read it again. For we once were foolish. The word foolish, in the Hebrew and the Greek, it means to be foolish. It means to be, believe it or not, stupid. It means to be without knowledge. Without any understanding. In fact, I've got it written down in my Bible like that. It means lacking in understanding. So we once were foolish. We once were lacking in understanding. We were being stupid. We didn't have any understanding on this. We were foolish ourselves. 
disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. And all that means exactly what it says. Spending our life in malice. Now here's an interesting word, malice. Malice means this. It means evil in a moral sense, meaning a wickedness of heart, life, and character. Wow. Ouch. Spending our life in malice. So it means spending our life in wickedness. Spending our life in a life that is wicked, a character that is wicked. A moral wickedness. You know, it's hard to even go on Facebook or, or those, the other apps. I don't, I'm not on Instagram and all that. You know, I'm a boomer. Boomers are on Facebook, right? What they say. In fact, I was told, get on Instagram. Why? No. Not knocking Instagram. I'm not being ma speaking malice against Instagram. Okay? Or maligning Instagram. Or any of the others. But it was interesting that nowadays it's hard to scroll through without seeing some kind of something that's vile. And you kind of go, man... Yeah, I think there's getting a deep hole in my phone from doing this, you know, because this is the way our world is going. Now, I'm not speaking ill of the world because for God so loved the world. He loved, he loves the people. But the character of our world now is getting terrible. In fact, I'm going to say this this morning, and please hear me on this. If we believe our government and the way the government is trying to make things, we believe that, that, that the government is supposed to change the way we live and make our lives better, we're wrong. If we think a program and if we think a policy, we think a bill or anything can change the heart of a man, you're wrong. I wrote this statement. Racial reconciliation will never happen outside the saving grace of Jesus Christ, because man is not that good. Slave, you know, tra uh, sex trafficking, slave trade in that way, which is a slave trade of today, it's not going to change. You can't change that heart. Only God can change the heart. And outside the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we'll never see it disappear because it's been going on for thousands of years. It's wrong. It's evil. Any type of slavery is evil. But it's not going to change outside Jesus Christ. You go, that's a fatalistic out, you know, look. No, it's a truthful look. I believe that if the believers would get off our blessed assurance... And start moving to share Christ with people. And if our life is projecting Christ, if our life is like light and darkness, we will see things change. But outside that, all the policies and all, and all the great presidents and the bad presidents and the bad congressmen and the bad senators and the good senators and all the, the so-called stuff, all those policies are not going to change the heart of a man. Only Christ can do that. Okay, enough of the government stuff. Let's go on. If a believer feeds what he or she used to be, the old life will continue to live and invariably change what he or she is to be. 
Did you catch that? If a believer feeds what he or she used to be, the old life will continue to live and invariably challenge what he or she is to be. Meaning this, if we don't understand that if we don't walk and start moving towards in our own will by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God moving in our life, if we don't focus our eyes upon Christ and walk that way, our old life will invariably challenge what we are to be in Christ. It will beat you down. Now, what did God do for us? Oh my gosh, i got to speed up. What did God do for us? Look at verses 4 through 6. Let's start at verse 4. Look at verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. When the kindness and the love of God. is contrasting the pre previous verse where Paul states that it is the kindness and love of God not to be... Not to, not to our own merits, but we are given salvation through Jesus Christ. Look, look at it. But the, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, meaning what? He's contrasting what he just said before, our old life. Our old life was there. It was never going to go away. We couldn't live for Christ. We couldn't follow what God wanted in our own power. We couldn't do it. So God had to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, to make us just in him and righteous in him, and then through the Holy Spirit, grant us the power to walk in the ways that God wants us to walk. Am I making sense this morning? Okay. So, salvation, salvation came, let me back up. Look where he says in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Heavy theological stuff, but it's really simple. It's this. Salvation came not only because of God's kindness and love, but also because of his mercy. We did not save ourselves. He saved us. Real simple. But here's the thing. You know what mercy means? You know, we've seen in movies where people cry for mercy before someone's going to, you know, do them in. You know, kids have cried for mercy, at least when we used to get spankings. There was a, a friend of mine told me this one time. He, his, his father was going to wear his butt out. And he said, mercy, Dad, mercy, mercy. You know, you, you, mercy, you know, God wants to give mercy here. And he goes, I'm not God, son. <laughs> and my friend got his butt beat. Mercy means this. It is the outward manifestation of pity. Okay? But watch this. It assumes need on the part of him who receives it. We need mercy. There's something we're lacking, which is God's mercy and God's love and God's life in us. Now watch this. It assumes need on the part of him who receives it and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. So his mercy tells us that God has the resources to change a man's life, a woman's life, a person's life for the better, for, the, for him, so that he can walk in the ways of God, 
Walk with a new character. Walk with a new mindset. Walk with a new life. He can do it. He did it. You're sitting here most likely because God changed your life. Unlike when I used to go to church as a young person, I was dragged there, kicking and screaming and stoned. Not stoned by rocks. But it was the mercy of God that met me and changed my life on that Sunday morning. Actually, Sunday evening. So mercy is that. So now again, now let's read it with the understanding of mercy that it shows that the one who receives it has a need and the one who gives it has the resources to meet that need. Now, look what it says. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. All of our good deeds, the Bible says, are filthy rags. We can't be good enough for God. But according to his mercy, his resources, his love for us, his pity, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? This. It means the Holy Spirit is the agent of change. Theologically, you can put it this way. He's the agent of regeneration. To regenerate means to change, to make something new, to place, place, well, let's go on. Renewal means this, meaning the adjustment of one's moral and spiritual vision and thinking to the mind of God, which is designed to have a transforming effect on one's life. So renewing our mind, renewing our life is God's adjustment. It's like, I remember when um, uh, Jeff came, and they, him and Jessica came down, and I was so, I didn't want him to think that I was going to, you know, say, Jeff, you're a chiropractor, please adjust me before you go back to Ohio, please, please, please. But as we were leaving the uh, uh, cheese bar, Cheeseburger Bobby's, I'm going, my neck was hurting so bad in my back because I got in an accident back in March, and things just aren't functioning, and it's not because of age. It was a car wreck. Okay? So I'm looking, and he goes, what can I do for you, Pastor? And I went, this is my moment. <laughs> oh! You know, angels are singing, light came down upon me and upon Jeff. And I said, Jeff, can you adjust my neck? And he goes, sit down. And he did this, uh, and I heard God. <laughs> I mean, it was... It was wonderful. And then he did the, black. And he goes, how you feel now? I went, you know. It was an adjustment. My shoulder felt better. It's it's getting there. But my back, everything felt good. Even all the way down to my toes, it felt good. So what is that? It's this. Look what it says. God, through renewing us, is the adjuster through the Holy Spirit. Here, the renewing of the Holy Spirit is not a fresh bestowment of the Spirit of God in our lives, but a revival of His power developing the Christian life. Meaning what? The meaning here is this. In this section, in this verse, it means a continual operation of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. You remember in Galatians where it says, be filled with the Spirit? Walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit? That word filling means a continuous filling. Every day, getting up, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Renew me as I'm moving forward. That's what this is talking about. But what does Romans 12, 1 say? Turn to Romans 12. 
Oh, gosh, i got to speed up. Turn to Romans, actually, chapter 12, Romans 12, look at verse 1. So what does this mean? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, or brethren, by the mercies of God, there's that mercy thing again, which is the motive for what he's about to say, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it goes on, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what does that mean? How do we live like that? Let me show you. Back in Titus, that's a continual operation of the indwelling of the Spirit of God in our life. Romans 12, 2 means this. It's our willing response on the part of the believer. So meaning what? God wants to renew us. God's given us the Holy Spirit, but we have to respond to the Holy Spirit each day in our life. We have to present our body, present ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's a daily thing. So, if we claim to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, should not our lives give witness to what we believe? We're almost done. Y'all still with me? Okay. Look at verses 7 and 8, back in Titus. Go back to Titus. We're going to wrap it up. Let's start in verse 6. For whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ our Savior, meaning the Holy Spirit, so that being justified by his grace, he can't pour it out unless we're justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's stop there in verse 7. We have been made, what? Heirs. Jesus Christ makes us heirs of eternal life, meaning what? Scripture actually says that we are joint heirs with Christ in Romans 8, 17. This is a mind-blowing truth and promise. We will inherit all that Christ is and has. We will be given the glorious privilege of sharing in all things with the Son of God himself. This is what it is. It's an heir. An heir. And all of it, it's like we all wish we had that rich uncle. Right? That was a multi-bazillionaire. And we all wish that we were in our uncle's will. Because we would be what? An heir to all that he has. And all that he's given to us. Now, in the world, there will be a section of that will that says us in it. In the scriptures, we're heirs to all. Yet, yet, in context, we are to understand that we also share in his nature. That's what this is talking about. Meaning, our conduct should, be, should bear the mark, now listen to this, our conduct should bear the mark of an heir. We've seen in the last couple of years the uh, English monarchy, and we've seen the outcast son and the welcome son. We've seen the, the welcome son, his conduct is that of an heir. We've seen the outcast son and his bride, and their conduct is that of Hollywood. Right? 
And, and what, what has the monarch been saying? They're not acting like heirs. What is the world saying about believers? We're not acting like heirs, are we? Those who have believed, look at verse 8, here we go. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning those things, which, uh, those things I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Those who have believed will be careful to engage in good deeds. Good deeds here refers to a lifestyle and a conduct that befits a believer in Jesus Christ. It goes back to Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I promise you, we're almost done. Don't laugh at me. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 10. This famous verse that if you've been in church long enough, you've heard this many times. For we are his workmanship. Workmanship meaning what? We are his artwork. We are his, his what? We are his uh, poem. We are his writing. We're his letter. We're something that God has been working on, has worked on, and will continue to work on. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Is it talking about feeding the poor? Yes. Is it talking about being kind to somebody at Walmart? Yes. Is it praying for people in 75? Yes. It means our whole life is not specific deeds. This has been misused by, oh, well, we got to do good deeds. We got to get out there and feed the homeless and, and take care of the widow. Yeah, we got to do all that. But what it's talking about is that our daily lifestyle our daily walk, the way we walk each and every day when no one's looking at us, when there's no good ministry to get involved in, is still the same as when we're sharing at the food pantry. You're saying, you're putting a lot of, we can't do this. In and of ourselves, we can't do this. I can't live that good. I couldn't. My heart wanted to even before as a believer, but I couldn't. I could do little bits and things, but on a whole, I couldn't do it. But in Christ, we can do it. If we can't, let's give all this up, quit going to church, and live like hell all week. I wasn't cussing. If we claim to have believed God for eternal life, then our lives should reflect the one in whom we have believed. Oswald Chambers said this. I love Oswald Chambers. He said, In new birth, God does three impossible things. The first is to make a man's past as though he had never, it had never been. Isn't that great? The second, to make a man all over again. And the third, to make a man as certain of God as God is of himself. Now, that's one you can go. That's deep. Look at it again. In new birth, salvation, when God changes us, makes us born again, God does three impossible things. The first is to make a man's past as though it had never been. That's a hard one because you know what? We keep trying to dredge the past up, do we not? The second, to make a man all over again, that's the one we don't believe because we struggle. So the enemy beats us up in here because we haven't done Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so he beats us up in here and then we do what? 
we believe we haven't changed and we can't change. Well, you're right, we can't change. But God put his Holy Spirit in us so we can. And the third, to make a man as certain of God as God is of himself. You're going, well, how, do we, how does he do that? By making us certain that he loves us. You ever not felt God loved you? You ever felt that God didn't love you? Don't answer. Let me show you three things that we can get from this. I believe I was lost. That was verses 1 through 3. I believe I was found. That was verses 4 through 6. And I believe I am different. That's verses 7 and 8. You know what that means? Remember I said at the beginning that that person that I was talking to said that the church has no power anymore? We're no different than the early church. That's when people got you got to understand. We're no different. But when we believe that and we allow God to change our character, not walking in perfection, walking in direction towards him, when we allow him to do that in our life, that's the power. It's not whether I can lay hands on the sick and them get well. That's fine. That's great. God does that. It's not whether I can part the Red Sea. It's not, those things are wonderful. They're one-time events. But what happens is, is when a person lives like this, knows this, their life changes, and every day they're walking in a miracle. They're walking in the power of God. Why? Because it's the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says what? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to all those who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. But what is the power? It's the gospel. The gospel has a power to change a man's life so radically that he doesn't live like he used to. That is the power of God, not miracles. Charismania has made us believe it's miracles. If you're not doing miracles, you're not walking in the power of God. That can make a man cuss. You know why? Because it's not true. It's a lie. Straight from the pits of hell. So here we go. Last slide. The lifestyle and behavior of a true Christian is to be as extreme and noticeable as light is to darkness. Read that again. The lifestyle and behavior of a true Christian is to be as extreme and noticeable as light is to darkness. Remember, we're light in a dark world. So here's another question I got for you. What do you believe? Let's pray. I'm going to ask just to leave that slide up. This morning we've had a prayer time already. We've had all the worship. Now it's just you, God, no music, no hype, nothing else. You and him, right there in the seat. What do you believe? If you were to die tonight, If it was all over, where would you spend eternity? If you didn't die tonight, where, what love do you have in your life? Where do you feel secure? Where do you feel hope? 
The world won't give it to you. But God can. Where do you feel at home? Who do you feel loves you? Jesus said, for God so loved the world. He told this to a religious man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And he says, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. The Bible says if we repent of our sin and confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. He said the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you don't know him today, the Bible says to confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. It's a simple prayer. As a believer, have you wandered? As a believer, have you moved away from God? Has the world got a hold of you? Is the world pulling you that way? Does the world seem more exciting than what God wants to do in your life? Come home. Come home to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who wrote what you're walking through. The one who can change it. The one who made your life. the one who has good things for you. If you're walking with Christ and things are going well, then thank him, rejoice, and be exceedingly glad, the word says, for great is your reward in heaven. So right now, whatever the commitment is that you need to make, make it right there with no music, no anything, right there in your seat. Tell him. the moment. Lord, I pray that as we go this morning, there's some that have to go and some that are going to stay for the meeting. That, Lord, when we leave this place today, whatever time that is, that, Lord, that there was an encounter with you that only you could do. I pray that, Lord, for those who don't know you that are sitting here this morning or are watching on the, on, on the YouTube or Facebook or wherever, that, Lord, if they don't know you, and they ha that, Father, today they will come home to you. That they will see that you love them with a love that can never be given in this world. And you can change their life in such a way that they will know this love and all throughout eternity. I pray for those that, Lord, that had, have known you and have walked away and for some reason are being pulled away. That, Lord, that you will draw them back home again. 
because you're our home. We were made to be with you. We were made to be in you, in you and us. And I pray that, Lord, that they will return to you as you gently and lovingly call them to return. And those, Lord, who have been walking with you for so long, or even just a short time, but, Lord, they're walking with you, and you're their life. And, Father, I pray that you will just instill in their hearts a great rejoicing, a great peace, even far above what they have already. May you renew each one of us this morning, however it needs to be done, whether with salvation or coming home to you from being backslidden in any way, or, Lord, just a renewal and a refreshing for those that have been walking with you. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, do it this morning. And we trust you. And I pray that tonight as we lay our heads down on the bed to go to sleep, that, Lord, there'll be a peace that passes all understanding because we are at home in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.